from the Alaska Airline Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like us. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. We got This is the Blitz at 6. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Monday, June 1st, hanging in studio. First, just want to wish everybody safe, healthy, and happy out there. Uh, Our great city experiencing a lot over the weekend. And if you are trying to get to work this morning and have some questions about... uh, even just the roads uh, to get to work because some were blocked off. I go through downtown Seattle this way on the way to work. So uh, make sure you check over with our news station. Cairo Radio is there for you in 97.3 to advise you on that. And they've got all the latest updates on that situation. But for us, ahead in this hour, Major League Baseball is trying to get back to play. And the Players Association delivered their first return to play proposal to MLB on Sunday. How far apart are these two parties? Could they soon reach a compromise? Because, by the way, the timeline, the deadline for for this is inching ever closer. So we'll discuss the details of that. We also got to hear from Pete Carroll uh, with his old friend, Scott Boris. They went to college together. And especially right now, it's a unique time to hear from Scott because he is his name has been in some of the headlines involving involving this discussion uh, with his players. So we'll hear from them on the role of both coach and agent when it comes to players. Also, LJ Collier speaking to the media on why he felt disrespected last year, why this year will be different. All ahead in this hour right now. Let's get to your headlines. The Major League Baseball Players Association delivered a return to play proposal to Major League Baseball on Sunday, and it includes a 114 game suggested season, also deferred salaries in the event of a canceled postseason and the option for all players to opt out of a potential 2020 season due to coronavirus concerns. This is according to ESPN's report and Jeff Passan uh, speaking to the players proposal uh, just just late last night as well. It is a 114-game proposal by the Major League Baseball Players Association. Season would start on June 30th, end on October 31st. I think the most important point here, though, is not the size of the season, which is up for negotiation, but a caveat that they put in there about if there is no postseason this year, then they are willing to defer $100 million in salary for players making 10 million or more in the season. Now, that seems like, uh, you know, uh, we don't know if there's going to be a postseason or not. We don't know if there's going to be a second wave of coronavirus. The point is, owners have talked about having cash flow issues. And one way to alleviate cash flow issues is for players to defer money to the future. Now, they want these monies paid with interest. So it is deferrals with sort of a twist on it. But that being said, it opens the door potentially for more deferrals in an MLB proposal back to the Players Association. That was one of my ideas is to have some of that deferred money. Of course, the players only opting for deferred salaries in the event of a canceled postseason and only for those players making in the uh, top tier, upper tier of of salaries. It's the first proposal drafted by the Players Association and came in response to MLB's plan floated last week revolving around an 82 game season 
which also involved further sliding scale pay cuts to players' prorated salaries. That plan was emphatically rejected by players. A lot of comments on that. Now, their proposal is on the table for owners, and the league is expected to reject it as well. But hopefully, there is some room for compromises. Baseball is working with an increasingly short deadline to return to play if they intend to have a 2020 season of any kind. Under the union's proposal, we heard about the 114-game season. It would run from June 30th to October 31st. That means they would have to get started really soon and that it would be probably likely a shorter spring training ramp up than they had planned. MLB had proposed 82 games and back in mid-May suggested that the more games teams play this year, the more money the owners stand to lose. So playing 82 games without fans in attendance and with players still making prorated salaries would, according to Major League Baseball, cost them over $4 billion in free cash flow. This was per a document presented from the commissioner's office to MLB players uh, back in about mid-May, the Associated Press reporting on it. But uh, the union remains steadfast that players should receive their full prorated salaries, while MLB's plan included significant pay 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 cuts that affected the highest paid players the most, uh, but covered all levels. The inclusion of potential deferrals in Sunday's proposal was an acknowledgement by the players that amid the coronavirus pandemic and unrest around the country, cash flow issues could prove problematic for owners. There is still some distrust on behalf of how much uh if that those figures, though, that reported are correct and that if the four billion number uh, is correct, but uh, that would apply to players whose contracts call for 10 million plus salaries, as we mentioned uh, in the players proposal for the deferred money. Deferrals could be part of any counter offer from the league, which had not officially responded to the union's proposal as of Sunday. How will the owners view this one? Jeff Passan explains. MLB is going to reject this proposal. Right. It's just an inevitability like it was inevitable that the players rejected MLB's proposal on Tuesday that included the pretty drastic pay cuts for players up and down. But the issue is going to be on the owner side. Now, there is a group of owners. It's a small group at this point, but there's a group that has been fairly vocal about there not being a 2020 season and what the benefits would be to that. And the question is, is this proposal going to give them more ammunition, perhaps going forward and being able to bring some others onto their side? Or are they going to see this from the players as an olive branch saying, hey, let's find somewhere to meet in the middle. We've got a pandemic going on right now. We've got a crisis going on across the country where cities are burning. And are we really going to be the ones who can't come to a deal right now? It's just more for baseball to consider than it has already. And if it wants to be the first professional sport in America to come back, then this week is going to be absolutely seminal. That working relationship between MLB and players, a big topic of discussion, and Buster only with more on that as well. When they're trying to come up with an agreement, the working relationship between the players and the owners is at its worst in about a quarter of a century. In the 2016 collective bargaining talks, the owners won a lot of financial ground, and the free agency that followed was not as lucrative as the players wanted. So the amount of distrust, the amount of suspicion in these negotiations is extremely high, and both sides actually have their factions. We saw Max Scherzer the other day tweet out about how, from his perspective, the players really are done negotiating when it comes to salary rollbacks. On the owner's side, there are some owners who'd be willing to shut down the sport right now for this year so they can mitigate financial losses. 
Other parts of the player's proposal reportedly include expanded playoffs for two years. MLB's proposal suggests one year of a postseason that goes from 10 teams to 14. A salary advance of $100 million to split among players during the so-called spring training 2.0 leads up to the regular season. Additional commitment to players wearing microphones on the field and other broadcast enhancements and an offer to hold events such as an off-season all-star game or home run derby to help generate additional revenue. Buster only also speaking to the possibility, well, what happens if MLB doesn't have a season? To not get a deal done, the consequences are almost unthinkable. Uh, it probably would spin baseball into a long cycle of labor problems. Because remember, if they, there is no baseball in 2020 and the coronavirus is still manifesting in the spring of 2021, they'd have to come up with agreement then. The collective bargaining agreement is set to expire in December 2021. I have people on the player side saying to me the players could use the option of striking in order to get what they want. And on the owner's side, there might be some owners feeling like, hey, you know what? We've lost so much money already. We're just going to sit back, wait out the players. Keeping in mind that new CBA negotiations uh, or CBA negotiations will start next year, 2021. And Mike Golick Jr. pointing that out on a Golick window this morning that uh, that's affecting all of these negotiations as well. Is it going to get done now? And is it going to be done with this season as the most important thing? Because the one thing we keep hearing about in all this is that idea of what's coming up after 2021 when that CBA ends, when the yeah. negotiations for that are supposed to start, and how all of that looming off in the distance is kind of influencing the way people think about what's happening right now in a way that is definitely not going to be something the public gets down with. Coming up on The Blitz, we get to hear from Pete Carroll, a pretty pretty cool conversation between him and his old college pal, Scott Boris, mega super agent, uh, on the role of both coaches and athletes in their involvement with players. Also, LJ Collier on what he learned his first year in the NFL, why he has a bit of a chip on his shoulder moving into his second. It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Monday, June 1st. Thanks for hanging out with me this morning. Again, wishing everyone be safe and healthy and happy today. If you are looking for up-to-date coverage on everything going on in the city of Seattle uh, with protests Seattle, Bellevue, and beyond, actually. You can tune into Cairo Radio's 97.3 FM. They've got you covered. They've also got you covered on the traffic side as well for any potential streets uh, that may be closed today. So keep it there. In the meantime, a chip on a chip on their shoulder. That's a common narrative we've heard here in Seattle, especially with these Seahawks. LJ Collier might be the newest addition to that list. He spoke with the media right before heading into the weekend. What did he learn from his first year in the NFL? I mean, just the importance of reps and what you really need to do and how watching film and being there and being at those, getting those reps. Cause the name of the game is repetition and things like that. And just, I just realized that missing those reps and things was a big, was a big thing, especially when you're new to the league. And so I needed preseason to knock off the rust and things like that. And, you know, I came in, against the Steelers, you know, haven't practiced anything in a very long time, no pad works. So I always stepped behind everybody. And when I did catch a stride, you know, there was times where, you know, I didn't play and things like that. So it was very difficult, but I learned a lot last year about myself and about the league. And, you know, I had great guys around me and great coaches. So I learned a lot from them and 
what I can bring to the game this year. LJ Collier on what he knew about the Seahawks and their utilization of him when he came to Seattle. I mean, I knew coming in last year that I was going to play some three technique, you know, in nickel and uh, coach hurt me. I talked about that. You know, that's what they told me they were going to draft me for to bring that Michael Bennett presence. And he, he did some inside and out and I'm excited for it, man. You know, I'm an athletic guy and I know what I can do on the inside with my quickness and my strength. So I'm excited for it. Whatever I can do to get on the field, man, I, I'm not, I'm not worried about it, you know. Obviously hampered by an injury last season, but coming in as a first-round pick, uh, pick 29 in 2019, of course, there's always going to be a lot of expectations surrounding that. And LJ Collier saying he didn't have the year he wanted, but when people write you off, uh, it it adds uh, to your ire. I am trying at the bit to get out there because, just because you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you didn't have the year everybody wanted to get, so they just kind of shift you off to the side that you can't play. It's, a, it's disrespectful, and I feel very disrespected, but I'm the type of person, there's no need for talking, just showing, go out there, you know, you run through a couple of people, you run through people's faces, you make noise, and people, they'll, they'll remember who you are very quickly. And, like, I'm excited to get back out there and show people who I am. You know, I don't really care about the first-round pick stuff. I'm, I'm a football player at the end of the day, and I can play football at a high level just like everybody else can. I'm out there to prove that, that I'm one of the best, and I can do what I need to do. I can rush the pass. I can stop the run. I'm out there to prove that, that I'm one hell of a football player, and I'm going to show that this year. Yeah, he mentioned that again. Last year is last year, and focused on what he can do now and contribute to the team. I mean, I know who I am, and I never, I knew what type of stuff was going to happen. I told myself, if, if you come in a certain way and things happen, people are going to be against you, they're going to be with you. At the end of the day, I can do is stay focused, keep the tunnel vision, and, and grind. And last year taught me to always stay humble. Even when, you know, I've been down before. I was down in college before. It's what you do. When you're down, I can choose to stay down or I can choose to come out this and do what I know I can do. And that'd be great. So I'm focused on being great. Last year is last year. I'm getting my body right. I'm getting my mind right. I'm doing everything I need to do to be great this year and go out there and have a great season. And I plan on doing that. So when moving ahead, looking ahead, how ready was LJ Collier to return from injury last season? And how does that mean where he's at injury-wise going into 2020? Uh, I definitely wasn't 100%. But I got to where I, I could play and everything like that. And I felt the times where maybe I should have waited longer. But, you know, I wanted to play. And that was that's what I should have waited on. That was me. I wanted to get out there. Maybe I should have waited a little bit longer. But I don't uh, regret anything from last year. I learned a lot as a player myself and what I need to do and with the league and everything and uh, the type of player I can be. That's why I'm excited for this next year because I know who I am and I know the competitor that I am. So I know I'm going to bring to the table this year. Obviously, things are uh, kind of unusual this year because of the virtual offseason and the coronavirus pandemic. So, LJ Collier on how he's been training and getting prepared. I mean, I definitely boxed in the beginning, you know, for a different type of training, you know, uh, cardio and things like that. It was really fun. And I really just tried to own my, my pass game more and just really get in better shape, more flexible and things like that. Really just working on anything I can do to take my game to the next level and learn as much as I can right now. And bottom line, he's just excited to play. I'm excited, man. You know, just my, it's so fun. You know, I love the game of ball and just to be able to get out there with more understanding, know what's going on. But, you know, with the team we have, I mean, you can't help but be excited. You know, in the run we're going to go for this year. I can help with that. You know, me and everybody else on the D-line. And I'm excited. Like, I really am. It's going to be fun. Ms. L.J. Collier, more up next. We get to hear from Pete Carroll on with Steve Kerr, the latest episode of the Flying Coach podcast. Some really interesting conversation between an old college buddy of Pete's at Pacific. Uh, that would be Scott Boris, super agent, 
on their role, both of coach and of agent in the lives of players and of coaching greatness, so to speak. It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Monday, June 1st. If you haven't been listening or haven't been subscribed to the Flying Coach podcast, I suggest you do. We know most of us have a little bit of extra downtime right now during uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. And listening to the Flying Coach podcast, a limited series put on by The Ringer between Steve Kerr and Pete Carroll, has been a fun way to get to know both coaches better, but also just to see an insight into their thought process. And they usually have some pretty incredible guests, including their latest one, which was Agent Scott Boris, who actually went to college at University of Pacific with Pete Carroll, both of them athletes at the time, Pete playing on the football team, Scott playing on the baseball team, and also a different career path than both of them would have guessed. Uh, And they talked about that at the beginning of the podcast. They also did sort of player scouting reports uh, on each other, which I thought was pretty great. But they also touched on some of their roles uh, in in terms of the, the lives of the athletes that they're around. And Scott Boris had a great quote on being in sports, allowing you to be around greatness. In pro sports, the great thing is about and it's fortunate because it's few people get, get to be involved in it is that you're around greatness and greatness is a, uh, a very special thing to manage and to deal with. And because usually they're there's, they know it, they feel it, they have expectations and then they have a dedication to it and they, they have a want about it. But managing greatness to me is the most intriguing thing because great players often have the edge. And that edge causes really a lot of issues in their lives. It causes a dimension about them that uh, is so, uh, so difficult to equate a normalcy to them. And when you carry greatness with you, you have to have a a normalcy pattern for them that is their own. And I don't need to tell you guys because you've been around greatness and, you know, your whole lives. And uh, but is something I found that it takes a very unique process. Um, It takes something where you you have to take it individually with the athlete and basically getting into that fear that the, every greatness has the greatest fear. And that is that I have got to be what I should be. And I, I gotta, I gotta be that guy that I should be. And it wears them out because once they have the great season, the most difficult season is always the next season because the expectation of the ease of their performance that the fans see uh, the brilliance they see, it, it, it's like they should be able to give it and give it every day. And I know you, you gentlemen in your careers, you know exactly what I'm talking about because there is almost an internal anger about what they have to go through to repeat that greatness. 
Pete has mentioned in the past that that's one of the things that he is most interested in, and even on this podcast, is the replication of excellence and how players, the, the truly elite, are able to do that. Uh, Scott Boris and Pete Carroll also talking about the role of agents and coaches in players' lives in particular and where they sort of set the boundary line. And Pete Carroll saying one thing both he and Scott do is coach guys up. The thing that we really do share is, is in, Scott is, I don't know other guys in baseball, you know, how they handle their business and all, but I know that you have really, and I think you said it, Steve, he, he has taken under his wing, coaching these guys up and coaching them to find the best in their careers. And, and, and it's so much more than just, bat speed and, 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 you know, good glove and good arm and stuff. It's handling and it's dealing with it. And, and you like you're saying, Scott, you know, the issues that guys deal with as they're maturing and they're, they're growing up into their careers. And there's so many things going on around these guys and they want to play baseball and they want the other stuff to not be the problem. Well, they, they don't have all the answers all the time. Our guys don't either. You know, we have to help them through stuff. And you've done exactly that. More from Pete Carroll on helping people. You know, Scott, it's always been so important to me to, and I, I, I know that you're all over this, is that to help people realize like what they're capable of doing and make it clear to them how they can believe in themselves and why they should. And here's all the reasons. So that when things start to get rocky, you know, we have a place to return to. You get to go back to home base, you know, and find your find your swing in baseball, find your stride in football, you know, find your shot in, in hoops. And it's so important for us to help guys be comfortable with who they are and be really clear about that and then then optimize that, like you're saying, and maximize that ability to keep bringing it to the ballpark, man. And it's it's such a uh, it's such an interesting part of the game. And who, who tells you that when you're growing up, you know? And who gives you those kinds of that kind of mechanism to to figure that out? Some guys have the confidence that takes them for a long time, but they all have to find it. They all have to return to themselves as they continue to hold on to their careers. And all. it's a fascinating part of the game. Steve Kerr also asking Pete a question about if he's had or what his interaction level with agents has been over the years. Uh, Pete, have you had any agents uh, call you to discuss a player's playing time or or would that go to John Schneider, the GM? How, like, Has that dynamic ever entered into your your uh, picture? In, in, in football, basically, John Schneider handles, handles all that stuff um, in general. Now there's relationships that, that you establish over years, you know, with guys and, and there might be a time here and there where uh, we'll make contact, but pretty much try to separate from that. And, and it, there's, it's a little bit of a sacred ground, you know, that we, that the guys hold off. And then when they do get into that kind of conversation, they usually don't sound very, very sharp and they don't, you know, they're, they're not really, it's, they're not at their best. And uh, so there, but there's times, uh, you know, when I do try to help John, you know, with a relationship that we're dealing with, or maybe there's a particular situation, but for the most part, it's it's separate from us. We'll hear a little bit more from Pete later in this hour. But first, it is Mariners Legends Week on 710 ESPN Seattle. So some of your favorite players over the years going to be joining different shows throughout the week. Rick Riz, one of all of our favorites, joining Bob, Dave and more on Friday. Well, Rick, we miss you, man, and uh, really miss seeing you around. But uh, what have you been doing to kind of uh, pass uh, the time and keep your pipes in shape, doing shows? What, what kind of stuff are you? Are you? Are you uh, like broadcasting, practicing games, or what, what are you doing during this time? Well, Dave, it's uh, great to hear your voice uh, as well, and and Jimmy as well, and Bob. Uh, what am I doing? I'm, I'm watching my uh, goatee grow. I had a beard. And uh, I looked more like Ernest Hemingway, so I shaved that part off, and I kept the goatee. I went with the George Clooney. So I'm, I'm watching the nice. whiskers grow. But uh, I'm trying to stay busy. 
you know, working in the backyard, got that all cleaned up. Uh, I've uh, rearranged uh, the junk drawer at least a couple of times. Uh, you know, the drawer with all the uh, Tupperware stuff. I've done that twice now. And I, I've always enjoyed cooking. So I love doing that. But I got into baking, too. And um, I burnt the heck out of a banana bread, the bottom part. The upper half was okay, so I <laughs> ate that. It's some Italian bread. But um, I'm just watching... You know, a lot of movies, as everybody else is doing, and just trying to stay ready uh, just in case we start up the baseball season here in the very near future. But I'm going nuts, you know, sitting around in baseball. As you guys know, it's it's every day. Uh, I love it. Everybody involved in baseball loves it, and I just can't wait till we get, till we get started again. Well, Rick, are, are you optimistic or uh, or pessimistic or somewhere in between about the season getting going in, in July? Well, as you know, Jimmy, I'm always kind of optimistic, but uh, there's some issues that uh, have to be worked out here, and I hope they work them out real soon so they can have their spring training for about three weeks. Uh, once they work out the details on the financial side, which I think they should be able to, we can get to spring training, whether it be up here at T-Mobile Park or uh, in, down in Arizona so we can get the season going underway in the early part of July. But I'm optimistic that It'll happen, you know, talking with a few folks I've talked with uh, with the organization. Uh, I, it's just something that it, it has to happen. It really does, you know. And so uh, I'm keeping my fingers crossed, and hopefully uh, we, can, we can start playing some games in July. Hey, Rick, I, I thought it was a really cool thing to see and, and hear. We heard Jerry DePoto come out yesterday and say, you know, we're paying our minor leaguers that $400 yeah. stipend until the end of what would be their regular season, where we've seen teams like the Oakland A's take a completely different tact and say, well, no, we're, we're going to stop paying you that, but you're not allowed to go collect unemployment. You're still technically employed, yeah. just not being paid. Uh, and, and they've got an owner worth around $2 billion, and I know it, it comes down to you're running a business and it's not a charity, blah, blah, blah. I just think, you know, there's a value to that, and I think that makes the Mariners organization look very good in that sense. I, I think so, too. There's no doubt about it. You know, these kids in the minor leagues, they're making nothing. I remember when I was in the minor leagues as a broadcaster making $200 a month in 1975, $500 a month. These guys were making about three or 400 bucks a month. Uh, and unless you sign that really big contract or signing bonus, uh, there's not a whole lot of money there, but it's, I think it's great that the organization is still paying them, you know, through the end of the year so they can try to make ends meet. Uh, this is a real difficult time for everybody. People losing their jobs, uh, businesses losing their, their business livelihood. Uh, we need to get this, uh, coronavirus, uh, in check and, and 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 help people get healthy once they get this virus and so there's a lot of major issues going on in our country and our community and the world and and um I, I just hope that we figure things out but i think it was a class act by the organization to keep paying these kids uh there's this thing called loyalty in baseball where you know these these kids are going to appreciate that down the road and um, I'm, I'm just glad they did what they did, but uh, I'm not surprised at all. Uh, a lot of people, most everybody, everybody in that front office that I've had to deal with, you know, they're very compassionate about everybody who works in, in the front office and uh, the guys down in the clubhouse and the field and even the minor leaguers that we may never ever see, but they care about everybody in the organization. So that's, uh, that, was a, that was wonderful to see, and I'm not surprised. That was Rick Riz on with Bob David Moore. Full interview online, 710 Sports.
NFL.com. Up next on the Blitz, it is time for the hot list. The NFL and NBA issuing statements and responding to the death of George Floyd as well as protests going on around the country. We'll read you from those statements. Also, uh, more updates on MLB's proposal, the players' proposal to return to play, including the 114 game season next on the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 645. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! Over the weekend, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell issued a statement sending condolences to the family of George Floyd, an unarmed black man who was killed by a white Minneapolis police officer last Monday. He also addressed his response to the nationwide protests that have occurred in the wake of Floyd's death. Goodell's statement reads, quote, the NFL family is greatly saddened by the tragic events across our country. The protesters' reactions to these incidents reflect the pain, anger, and frustration that so many of us feel. Our deepest condolences go out to the family of Mr. George Floyd and to those who have lost loved ones, including the families of Breonna Taylor in Louisville and Ahmaud Aubrey, cousin of Tracy Walker of the Detroit Lions. As current events dramatically underscore, there remains much more to do as a country and as a league. These tragedies inform the NFL's commitment in our ongoing efforts. There remains an urgent need for action. We recognize the power of our platform and communities and as part of the fabric of American society. We embrace that responsibility and are committed to continuing the important work to address these systematic issues or systemic issues, excuse me, together with our players, clubs and partners. Now, a lot of people pointing out uh, a bit of hypocrisy in this statement because when Colin Kaepernick was speaking out on these very issues, uh, the response by the NFL was quite different. Damian Woody mentioning that on ESPN. You're literally talking about the same NFL that basically made a rule where guys couldn't even, they couldn't even protest anymore. The NFL, 32 owners, basically said, we can't have you guys protesting anymore. Fast forward, you know, three years, and here we are where the NFL is talking about George Floyd and the systemic racism in, in this country. And Well, wait a minute. You had a beacon in Colin Kaepernick who was do, who was voicing this exact opinion, but the guy was banished from your very league. Damian Woody on what the country needs to do now is to work together for change. If we want a more perfect union, then we can't sit back and say, well, America is, is great, America is this and that. No, we have imperfections just like everyone else. We need to work on those imperfections to make us a more perfect union. And I think that's a decision that people have to make. Do you want to be a more perfect union where everyone has opportunity, where everyone gets justice, or do you want the status quo? Also saying that it might take uh, being uncomfortable and getting comfortable being uncomfortable for the time being. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Change is uncomfortable. When you've been accustomed to living a certain way, being around certain people, it's comfortable. But when people rock the boat, put you in different environments that you're not accustomed to, guess what? It makes you uncomfortable. But you know what? That's good. Because life is supposed to be uncomfortable in certain aspects. 
if we want to collectively become better as a country, then we need to be uncomfortable. We need to have those uncomfortable conversations. Locally, DK Metcalf speaking out and creating a video that he put out on social media and reflecting on death of George Floyd and feeling like he needed to say something. It breaks my heart that my uncles could go out into the world today and that could be them. And I wanted to say something because if, if I didn't, then I felt like I would be supporting it. And that, that's not right. That's that's totally not right. And I'm just I'm I'm lost for words right now. But I listened to a Martin Luther King We Shall Overcome speech and he said in his speech, All here now, meaning in America we want all of our rights. We want them here in America and we want them now. Good to hear from DK and speaking out and something he felt like he needed to add his voice to. Speaking of MLK, yes, it's always good to hear his words uh, in this time. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver also sending an internal memo to NBA office employees on Sunday, offering thoughts on the situation uh, in the memo, which ESPN's Ramona Shelburne got a copy of. Uh, He said he he shares the league's outrage and offered sincere condolences to family and friends of George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, and Breonna Taylor. He also said that he's, quote, heartened by the many members of the NBA and WNBA family, players, coaches, legends, team owners, and executives at all levels speaking out to demand justice, urging peaceful protest, and working for meaningful change. Together with our teams and players, we will continue our efforts to promote inclusion and bridge divides through collective action, civic engagement, candid dialogue, and support for organizations working towards justice and equality. Uh, Adam Silver on that as well. Ryan Saunders, Timberwolves head coach, who is right in the thick of this because based on his team's location and and what happened in his state, Ryan Saunders was on the ESPN Daily podcast with Mina Kimes and said why he's proud of his league, the team, the players. I'm proud to be in a league and, and an organization, too, that champions those causes. You know, I think Commissioner Silver, he's the best at allowing players to have a voice. And, and to stand up for what they believe in. You know, seeing Carl especially puts a lump in my, in my throat, you know, when I, when I saw him on TV because, you know, his mother, you know, she passed, what, a month ago. His family's still in mourning, but he still made a point to show up at that rally. You know, it shows his character, too, and the type of leader, I think, that he is. Um, and then Josh, too. Josh was in Georgia just a few weeks ago when Maude Arbery was out for a run and shot down. Josh comes here a few days later and this happens. You know, it's not okay. I'm really proud of Josh as well and him being vocal and him standing up for what's right because that would be, I think, everybody's hope in trying to find change. Speaking of that change, Ryan Saunders, Timberwolves head coach on his role in the fight against racism. First role is to be vocal and to stand with our black brothers and sisters who need that empathy um, and, and show that empathy towards what is happening in our country. George Floyd, I mean, he should still be alive right now, but there's a number of other black males, especially that should still be alive right now. And we need to stand with those individuals. And I think being vocal is, is big, but then taking action. I don't know what the action is yet, but I know that there's good people 
not just in Minnesota, but in this country that can take action. We just need to commit to it and stay with it. And, you know, I think a lot of that comes to helping build relationships and using platforms, any, any type of resources we have to become stronger in those relationships with somebody who, you know, doesn't look like you. Brian Saunders, Timberwolves head coach, finally on why he feels comfortable speaking out. The fact that it happened in, in a way in, in our backyard here in Minnesota, um, you know, maybe that was the nudge that, you know, some people needed, at least locally here, to be more vocal. And um, it's it's something that's been, you know, in my heart. And, hey, I'll say, as, as a Christian, you know, this is in my heart. And so whatever backlash came from that, I, I did not didn't even think twice really about it. Charlotte Hornets owner, excuse me, and Chicago Bulls legend Michael Jordan also joining the conversation, expressing grief and outrage over the death of George Floyd. He said, quote, I'm deeply saddened, truly pained and plain angry. I stand with those who are calling out the ingrained racism and violence towards people of color in our country. We have had enough. I don't have the answers, but our collective voices show strength and the inability to be divided by others. We must listen to each other, show compassion and empathy, and never turn our backs on senseless brutality. We need to continue peaceful expressions against injustice and demand accountability. Our unified voice needs to put pressure on our leaders to change our laws, or else we need to use our vote to create systemic change. Every one of us needs to be part of the solution, and we must work together to ensure justice for all. Just as a reminder, you can tune in to 97.3, uh, our, our sister station, Cairo FM, for more updates on everything going on with these protests, including in the local area in Seattle and Bellevue. Uh, they have got you covered. If you've been missing the last dance, speaking of Jordan, on Sundays, and maybe you've been tuning in to the Lance Armstrong documentary because uh, of the 30 for 30 two-part, two-parter that ended yesterday, Lance, uh, pretty candid in some of these conversations on first his decision to lie about doping. What was it like looking at yourself in the mirror? Were no you- problem. Because I'm not, I'm not justifying it or defending it, but I'm telling you, it was not a problem. Because because it was, it was just part of the. It w- I was so used to it, and it was part of the game, and it was, it was. It, you just kind of become immune to that. I mean, it's crazy. I'm not. It's crazy to say, hear myself say that, but that's the truth. Lance also on why he decided to do that Oprah interview. People ask me a lot, like, why did you do Oprah? And the reality is I knew that I was going to get sued six ways to Sunday. And with that comes depositions, comes trials, comes sworn testimony. So I was going to have to say those things. And so I just wanted to say them on my on my terms. He also was pretty candid about some of the other people in his life, including including Floyd Landis, uh, who at first appeared to be the winner of the 2006 Tour de France uh, before testing positive for performance-enhancing drugs. And after years and years of denying the allegations in 2010, uh, he admitted to continual doping and revealed that Lance Armstrong and many other top riders who rode on his team doped as well. So... Lance Armstrong saying uh, his opinion on Floyd Landis. Could be worse. I could be Floyd Landis waking up a piece of shit every day. Is that what you think? Yeah, that's what I know. I don't think it. I know it. Said he'll never have a relationship with him. There'll never be a relationship. Never. Most people in this story, I'm fine to just forgive and, and forget and let's move on. There are a few that I, I, I'm not there yet. Floyd's one of them. I mean, you just can't. It's... It's not forgivable. 
also said he understands why people have the opinion of him that they do. The Major League Baseball Players Association delivered a return to play proposal in response to Major League Baseball's plan. Uh, and theirs includes a 114-game season, deferred salaries in the, in the event of a canceled postseason, and the option for all players to opt out of a t- potential 2020 season due to coronavirus concerns. Uh, it's the first proposal drafted by the Players Association, came in response to MLB's plan, floated last week revolving around an 82-game season. So you can see players and uh, owners very different on how many games they want played. Also, the players remaining adamant that they will not take any further pay cuts, which was originally suggested by the owners as well, sort of sliding scale pay cuts to players' prorated salaries. That plan emphatically rejected by players. Now their proposal on the table for owners in the league is expected to reject it, but hopefully there's a room for compromise as baseball is working with an increasingly short deadline to return to play if they intend to have a 2020 season of any kind. So under the union's proposal, the 114-game season would run from June 30th to October 31st, uh, MLB has proposed an 82-game season and suggested that the more games they play this year, the more money they stand to lose. They uh, floated back in mid-May that they stand to lose over $4 billion in free cash flow playing without fans in stands. That's uh, with players still making their prorated salaries based on that 82 games. This is per a document presented from the commissioner's office to MLB players and reported by the Associated Press back in mid-May. So that would be over half a million dollars uh, that they are losing, I believe, on each game uh, that they're playing. So uh, whether the players believe those numbers or not, there's a lot of mistrust between these two parties. But now, hopefully, uh, they'll be able to come to some type of compromise because the players... Moving farther away, it seems like, from from what the owners want, 114 games versus 82. But uh, what happens if there is no season? Uh, Buster Olney on that. To not get a deal done, the consequences are almost unthinkable. Uh, it probably would spin baseball into a long cycle of labor problems. Because remember, if they, there is no baseball in 2020, and the coronavirus is still manifesting in the spring of 2021, they'd have to come up with agreement then. The collective bargaining agreement is set to expire in December 2021. I have people on the player side saying to me the players could use the option of striking in order to get what they want. And on the owner's side, there might be some owners feeling like, hey, you know what, we've lost so much money already. We're just going to sit back, wait out the players. And that's a wrap for the hot list and the entire Blitz at Six Hour. Danny and Gallant coming away in seconds right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.